pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, with features on Jean-Luc Godard's The Image Book and Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace, and a special section on the best films of the year, plus reviews of the latest releases. Subscribe today at filmcomment.com. Hello and welcome to the Film Comment Podcast, broadcasting not in Sundance, but broadcasting about Sundance. So this is actually our kind of post-mortem. That sounds a little morbid. Uh, let's call it a wrap. So we're not in Park City, but we're back home in New York. Um, I'm Nick Rapold, Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. And for our wrap, I'm very pleased to be joined by... Eugene Hernandez. I'm the Deputy Director here at the Film Society, a co-publisher of Film Comment. And... Sometimes it's good, I think, to take a step back. Uh, we've been doing these kind of hot off the presses, you know, hot off seeing these films and talking about them. We've had some time to digest. Uh, we've also had some time to rest or not be able to rest, as the case may be. Um, yeah, I think I think um, the idea of a postmortem uh, felt quite uh, appropriate a couple of days ago when I <laughs> felt like death. Um, I got back from Sundance on Friday late evening and on Saturday into Sunday and into today, Monday, I've felt like crap. Um, getting over what I just can't seem to avoid yeah. is a Sundance cold. And I've tried yeah. over like my 26 years of going to this damn festival, yeah. I've tried every possible way to avoid getting sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got to the point now at the festival where I literally just like, I'm, I'm very strict about my time. I make sure I sleep enough hours. I don't go to parties very much. I don't drink. Like, I only drink water at Sundance at this point. <laughs> and despite every possible effort, uh, and I thought I had really mastered it this year, yeah. after 26 years finally, um, I still got sick. <laughs> it was so funny because I was at a, a screening early in the festival. I was waiting in line. And, you know, you run, you're, you're early in the festival, you're running into all these people that you haven't, it's like this Sundance in one part is like this, uh, this great kind of reunion every year. You kind of restart the year and you see people that you haven't seen, um, or reconnect with people. And I was, I ran into someone I hadn't seen for a long time, an agent from Los Angeles. And I spot him across the lobby of the Eccles and I just, I wave him, wave him over and we, we connect and I'm like literally about to go in for a hug. Uh, you know, to greet this guy. And he pushes back as he gets close. He's like, push back. No hugging. No hugging at Sundance. No hugging. And I, and I was like sort of taken aback. And I wish I had kind of, now I wish I had adopted that policy. Right. No hugging. It's, it's the hugs that'll kill you. Maybe it is. But anyway, um, we're here at the Film Society. Office. Well, yes. And thank you for soldiering through. Happy um, to do it. Um, and I mean, I, I thought it just might be nice to to kind of look at the big picture a bit. The awards have been announced. Um, I mean, I, I I have to say, like, I thought they picked a pretty pretty good bunch of films. Um, you know, uh, uh, several films in there were among among the ones that I, I liked a lot. I thought were strong movies. Clemency getting the um, U.S. Dramatic. Um, I don't know. Did Did you feel that way as well? Or? Yeah. I mean, I think I think that they chose really well. I, I you know and without revealing anything, our own Dennis Lim was on the jury. Oh, right, our own yeah. colleague Dennis Lim from the film study was on the narrative jury. And I know he felt very good about uh, the awards they chose. He said said as much on social media and also said as much privately to me. Um, and I think that uh, that his his jury seemed to get along really well and seemed to agree mm-hmm. uh, strongly about the films they chose. And I think they, they chose a really strong 
um, kind of mix of yeah. of narrative films. If we're looking at just that section, right. you know, between clemency and and uh, a couple of prizes, I think for last black man in San Francisco. Right. Yeah, I think they just seemed really they seemed really pleased with uh, with the choices they made, and I think they're yeah. really strong. It's a really strong selection of movies. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree, and and even even across the uh, the world categories, which which seem to be generally a section that was. Pretty pretty strong this year. I mean, I mean, of course, I'm kind of in the tank for you know the souvenir, uh, very much so. It seemed um, like the souvenir. It seemed like that movie just it just played so well, yeah, so immediately. Like it just connected with so many different yeah. audiences so quickly. Critics yeah. loved it. It played well with audiences. Like everybody yeah. was talking about that movie. There were some people kind of joking that it was almost too good right. <laughs> to be in that. Like it just kind of blew, just kind of blew everything away. Yeah, like sort yeah. of everything kind of left in its wake. Yeah, I mean, right? I don't know how much control you know a, a distributor has over scheduling, but putting it on Sunday night, just when people are kind of maybe having their fill of, of the yeah. weekend of movies, was kind of the perfect thing. It's like this is the movie you needed or didn't even know you needed, and here it is. And it's great to see that happen for a filmmaker like uh, Joanna Hogg. And, yeah. um, you know, you can tell we're in New York now because you hear the sirens. Oh, right. By. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, no more like drifts of blowing snow or that's anything. Right. It's just, you know, we're in the real urban environment. <laughs> um, but it's great to see that happen for Joanna Hogg. You know, like uh, it was a filmmaker who I frankly discovered, I think, Locarno. And then that same year um, that her mm-hmm. film was in Locarno, we had a, we had uh, her two films at the New York Film Festival. Uh, and so there was so much anticipation among critics and programmers and people in the industry yeah. for her next movie. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you've talked about it this week on the podcast. It's just such a great, uh, yeah. such a great move for her. It's such a great film, I should say. Yeah, I, I agree. And and I did an interview with her as, as well. And it just feels like also a very, a film that's very much living. She's, she, she, she's living with it right now and, and, and in the midst of it, because there's really going to be really and truly a sequel to it. I, it was funny. Someone thought that that might be like a conceptual thing, but they are actually going to be making another one. And in the sequel, I mean, the first one is very much about her own life yeah. at a certain time of her life. Yeah. Um, and is the sequel just kind of a continuation of that story of her own story or does it kind of branch off to? It sounds like it's a continuation of her story, um, although with a new, different complicating factor <laughs> involved. Um, yeah, I don't actually know that many more details from, than, than that, but uh, yeah, it should be should be something interesting. So, I mean, yeah, that, that was good to see there. And documentaries, I was a little wary going in this year just because if you counted, which I did, the, the U.S. documentaries, I think all but one were like, person-based, like a personality or star-based. I'm not the first person to say this. And that was like a little worrisome for me because I understand the imperatives behind that. You know, maybe easier to pitch a film, to get funding for it, to get support for it, to know there's a built-in audience for it. But still, I don't know. Not so many years ago, and I was talking about this with uh, Leslie Kleinberg, our executive director here at the Film Society, Mm -hmm. and she's a documentary filmmaker, has been a documentary filmmaker with films at Sundance and others. But um, it's interesting to see how not that many years ago, you would have probably looked through the doc lineup and seen a preponderance of films that are about issues, issue driven Mm -hmm. films. And that was really those are the kinds of movies that were getting funded. And those are the kind of movies that were playing at places like Sundance. Now you kind of switch, turn the tables a little bit. And it's really just personality driven, personality based films that are that are really like, yeah, taking over or kind of... um, getting a lot of the attention, getting a lot of the funding. Yeah. And I don't know if that's, if that's, and they're not as, they're not as issue driven or they're not as first and foremost issue driven, right. although that still comes up. Yeah. But it's just, it's a different driving force that's. Yeah. 
it is, and and even the ones that are issue, that are issue driven are kind of centered on a, a person. Like always in season is kind of taking this. I'm not going to say it's like a template now, but just like where you you have a hero figure, justifiably so, like completely courageous individual and individuals, um, and that's that's what you kind of frame it. Which I, I guess I'm good at, glad that it can happen like that. But um, but I mean, it's also not like across the board a bad thing. Um, I know. Like uh, uh, you know, one one of the films that made a big uh, big impact was the Michael Jackson documentary, which is sort of based on a person and a different. We were just talking about it before the podcast that it was one of the uh, what do you want to say like bad bad actor. What's the word? Just you know, like you know, bad deed kind of film. Yeah, these really notorious figures. I mean, there's yeah. a, there's a handful of films that are not just about people, but they're about really right. controversial figures, right. um, figures with whom you're not sure if you want to spend you know, a couple of hours yes. in the cinema with, uh, on a big screen. I mean, yeah. between the Michael Jackson film, right. the Steve Bannon movie, the Harvey Weinstein documentary and the right. Roy, Cohn Roy Cohn film. I mean, these are, these are, these are films where you really have to kind of want to walk in and spend some time with these folks. And in the case of Michael Jackson, yeah. on the very first day of the, the first full day of the festival, I, at 9 a.m., I walked into the Egyptian theater and watched the entire four hours. Yeah. Well, can, can, can you tell us a bit about that? Because sure. that is one film that we didn't, you know, choices being what they are at the scheduling. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's interesting because I've, I'll, I'll start by saying um, I tweeted a little bit about the experience of watching the film, mm-hmm. kind of just more in a, in a, in a, in a just kind of, almost documentary sense, just kind of, I'm here watching this movie, here's here's kind of generally what it's about or the approach that it takes. Yeah. Um, and, and then by the end, kind of talking about how moved I was by it. Um, and I've never had a single tweet or s- a s- selection of tweets that I've, that I've posted get so much feedback and that continue to get so much feedback because there's such an, an ongoing debate about Michael Jackson right. um, from his defenders and also from his critics. Right. Um, the film is really effective as a kind of deconstruction in in really painful and graphic detail uh, what two very specific guys endured and went through and their allegations of being abused by Michael Jackson, allegations that in some cases they they tried to sort of avoid or that they, in fact, some, in some cases said uh, didn't happen. Right, and the, the and when they when they were actually still, I think, children and and, and in the during the court proceedings. Yeah, I think I I think it's interesting because they you have these two figures who who the filmmaker interviews. So the far, the film is broken up into two parts, or at least we watched it in two parts. I'm not sure how HBO, when it airs the film in, I believe, March, I'm not sure how it will be uh, presented, but it was, I think it's going to be pre- presented over two nights. Uh, in the case of this, we, on the first, on that first full day of the festival, it was screened in two chunks with a small intermission, um, two two-hour chunks. And the first two hours really kind of sets up the history of these two guys and their relationship with Michael Jackson. One is a kid that Michael Jackson meets, I believe in Australia, um, who's a dancer who kind of oh, right. performs like Michael Jackson. He's like his idol. Right. And um, so he wins a contest. And as sort of, you know, a result of that gets to meet Michael Jackson. Another guy also, another kid also meets him. And in both cases, um, the parents of these kids are 
are really, you know, for lack of a better word, complicit in sort of letting their kid, and, and this comes up in the parents that are interviewed in the film, sort of why, but in letting their kids kind of uh, get to know this guy and be in his world. And in some cases, the parents and families of these kids financially benefit from being in the world of this pop superstar. Mm-hmm. No one ever imagining or realizing right. for some reason in this kind of, celebrity world that something like this could ever happen. Right. So they sort of are along for the whole families, the whole family in these, in these two cases are sort of along for the ride um, and are immediately sort of taken into the world of Michael Jackson and his celebrity and is taken into his world. And, and it's interesting that, that it's sort of this quandary maybe af- well after the fact how they should or, or shouldn't have, have behaved, but they're so encouraging of their kids, these two boys, to kind of develop this relationship. And they can't imagine that that what happens would ultimately happen. But it's also this kind of strange disconnect that's maybe hard to understand as someone who doesn't have kids. Um, But but has the benefit of you know hindsight at this point to say well of of course it was strange. Of course it was strange that this like grown man um, wanted to spend time with these young boys all the time. And and I remember making a note to myself as I was watching the movie. Um, I remember saying or uh, writing that he Michael Jackson was this like world renowned pop star who who basically had like these young boyfriends in the right. public spotlight. And what I meant by that was that he he's like they have plenty of footage of him like going on tour and going to various events and he's always like holding the hand of these young kids. Right. Even though there were certainly like rumors and jokes for such a long time, like nobody, not even the parents, like thought that was strange. Yeah. And certainly, certainly nobody in his camp or among the families of these kids were able to intervene to prevent what was happening. And, and there's like almost this like brainwashing that is sort of detailed by these two, these two uh, victims who, who really talk in, in, and kind of specifics about not only what they went through, but then how they denied all of this to family, to authorities, some in court. Right. Um, and it's really now with this film that that they're speaking in depth about what happened. And then in the second half of the film, kind of looking at the ramifications of that and how in some cases they tell their family and tell the world. I mean, it, it's, it's something I really want to um, catch up with. And I mean, it just sounds like, uh, you know, the parents and the families just completely bought into the... They kind of left the celebrity idea completely this abstract world. You know, it's, it's like they were sending their children just to just this famous wonderland, Neverland, right? It wasn't a real place, like nothing, you know, so how could they even conceive of anything happening? Um, at the same time, it is hard to, to imagine. And, and then I was, I, was, I was very interested to hear about the second half of the film yeah. where they kind of, they, instead of the film just being like, let's say, taking the mask off, off a celebrity, it actually turns the focus back on, on the two, two uh, now young men or men. Yeah, really looking in depth at what these experiences in their youth, how these experiences in their youth affected them in their young adulthood. In the case of one of them, um, having a kid, having a child really kind of brings all of this uh, out and, and forces him to grapple with how he processes the things that he's never talked about, the things that he's denied have happened, the effect that has on his relationship 
with his girlfriend, wife, uh, with with his own child, um, with his family, who he's who he's yeah. always denied any of these things happen have happened. So it 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 becomes a really as graphic and gruesome and and challenging as the first half is. The second half really is 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 equally harrowing in the way that it just sort of you see uh, and learn about sort of struggles that each of these men had in trying to sort of openly deal with this and and they're, and they're frankly their their ability to uh, even sit down and be interviewed in this film and then to be at the screening and talk about it after um, it's it really kind of uh, puts all of it in a, in a really unique kind of perspective yeah. and and frankly as I kind of joked earlier but in all seriousness like there's a lot of people who there's a lot of fans of Michael Jackson, whether it's on Twitter or people that I've run into at right. the festival. There were a couple of, uh, just a handful of protesters outside the screening who were, you know, really can't accept or don't want to accept that that perhaps this uh, that 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 their understanding of this this celebrity yeah. um, is uh, is 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 really like you know kind of not just challenged, but is kind of like is is about to be really like. Yeah. Uh, questioned very deeply, and so it's it's a situation where I think that um, someone at the Q and A asked one of the one of the victims like what how they would respond to the to the way that these fans are kind of defending Michael Jackson, right. and and he said um, he said you have to just he said I wouldn't have believed this was possible, and right. I, and, and it's going to be really hard for people to understand, but maybe watching the movie will help people kind of get a better. Yeah. A better sense of it, but there's there's you know there's a, there's a, there's his family who's defending him, and certainly yeah. other other people as well. So it's certainly a film that caused a little bit of discussion at Sundance. It sort of played on the first day, and then I think the festival kind of took off, and 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 other things kind of gathered attention. But I think that when it comes yeah. out in a couple of months, I think it will provoke a bigger conversation. Yeah, yeah, I imagine so. It, yeah, it's it's hard. It's always hard for a festival to fit in that long a movie, but also that intense a movie, and then. Everything just piles on top of it afterwards. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment with features on Jean-Luc Godard's The Image Book and Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace and a special section on the best films of the year, plus reviews of the latest releases. Subscribe today at filmcomment.com. Yeah, and then there were also, um, you know, we were talking about some other documentaries about uncomfortable subjects or subject matter, uh, the, the untouchable and the Roy Cohn documentary. But there were also ones that, I mean, that seemed to be more enjoyable. I think you mentioned Halston was. Yeah. I mean, um, we're, we're going in a different, totally different yeah. direction. <laughs> I thought we might need it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a breather. Yeah. Halston. <laughs> What's interesting about Halston, uh, switching gears, it, and this is a documentary directed by Frederick Chang, who made uh, Dior and I. And he, he takes a really interesting approach mm -hmm. in this film because I, I certainly didn't know that much about Halston and sort of never thought of him as, as this sort of uniquely American figure. But what comes out of this film, as you kind of learn the arc of his life, is that he is really like a uh, only in America kind of like um, entrepreneur turned businessman turned like, you know, sort of brand that he becomes uh -huh. over the course of his life. And so learning more about his own background is really interesting. But the way that Frederic uh, structures this film is by creating, creating kind of a fake narrator that's like played by an actress, uh, a young woman who's like kind of uh, maybe she's uh, like a historian or biographer and kind of like looking through old tapes 
of his life. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's a bold choice, especially for a, for a film that's a, like a CNN documentary, right? Oh, right. Uh-huh. Um, that, that, so it doesn't take the sort of uh, traditional celebrity biopic kind of approach. Yeah. Um, he sort of inserts a character, a literal character, with recreations, with, with acting, to kind of bring the audience into that world and mm-hmm. kind of bring it hopefully closer to the subject and sort of also give kind of a, an interpreter yeah. for what we're seeing kind of, you know, through the archival footage. Mm-hmm. And the archival footage is spectacular. Oh, yeah. There's amazing footage of, you know, and again, I don't know that much about Halston and his world, but to, mm-hmm. to kind of see a window into his own life, his own work, um, certainly the people that who he was connected to. I mean, there's some great um, anecdotes and, 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 and words from Liza Minnelli. Uh, uh-huh. And, you know, she played a role in, in, a, in a show that he did in uh, France that was kind of transformative for kind of the way that American uh, fashion designers were viewed. And it sort uh-huh. of turned the, the, the tables on kind of the French when, uh-huh. when he kind of went to France and, 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 um, and introduced his work to, uh, to the discerning French. So, um, I think it was just a really enjoyable, but also really interesting mm-hmm. film. But also, again, I think Frederick takes a really interesting approach to it. Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. I mean, that's somehow those. That was a one one other film that had kind of we hadn't uh, somehow covered yet. And I mean, I guess we're soon coming to the to the end of, of, of this. So I, I I wanted to again maybe talk more generally about the festival because it was really interesting. We were just talking about the festival in kind of the big in the big picture and you know how it's changed in the past few few uh, decades or fa- past few years rather um and uh, eugene obviously you've been going there for i think is that 20 this is your 26th this is only my third so i i have generally on these podcasts kind of refrained from holding forth <laughs> because i do feel that you know in one year you can say like okay i get this um but i, I feel like after it takes a few a few more years um to, to just kind of uh, get get a, a deeper sense of, of how a festival works and its history and, you know, the, the, the players, the filmmakers, it's, it's cycle. It's almost like you can't dive into one part of a several year cycle. And I, it, again, this is just my impression, but it seems like it's sort of, a, there's a shift going on right now. I don't know, what, maybe this year, past couple of years, but again, I'm just taking like a, a slice. Well, I, th- I think there's, I think there's an interesting conversation we can have about that as you wrap up this podcast, because I think that you've, in the three years that you've been going, I think you've been able to, you've been there for part of that shift. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and so um, you're seeing, you're seeing a part of Sundance that, that, uh, or you're seeing an aspect, I think, of Sundance that um, the programmers and the organizers have been very deliberate, uh, mm-hmm. especially, I think, if you look at this year, uh, deliberate about trying to um, create. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's, it's, a, it's a very delicate uh, kind of, it's a very, there's a tightrope they're trying to walk. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, the most insightful veteran on, on this topic you had on a couple of days ago, Amy Taubin, oh, yeah. who has, has you know seen it up close for such a long time. But I think in the 26 years that I've been going, I should say the first year that I went, 1993, was um, branded the year of the 20-something. So it was like... Wow. Uh, and the, so the festival was coming off of having just screened the year before I was there, having just screened Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, two years prior... Uh, Paris is Burning was there. Uh, mm-hmm. Todd Haynes had 
at his film Poison there. And so there there was certainly like a fair amount of attention. Be, and, and, and this was only four years after Sex, Lies, and Videotape right. uh, had established the festival from a sort of more business perspective, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and sort of given it a, a name from, you know, from an industry perspective. And in those kind of intervening years there was there there's been there's been a number of ups and downs uh with the festival becoming more of a marketplace for independent films and certainly in the heyday of of untouchable harvey weinstein that was one sort of lens through which to look at the festival the films that came in the films that got acquired for 10 million dollars in the first you know the night after their screening um, many of which not all of which but some of which would kind of tank the box office notoriously. Yes. Um, and then, you know, sort of you would kind of clean the slate and then go back the next year. And and then you would judge the success of that year's festival mm-hmm. on whether there were that those kinds of deals, those kinds of flops. How You know, it, right. it, it became a really, there became a, a really strange window through which to look at American independent cinema. And that was the filmmaker's ability to, be represented by John Sloss, go to Sundance, be sold to Harvey Weinstein, succeed or fail at the box office, and then, you know, sort of start it all over again in the next January. Um, It seems to me from what, and it's hard for me to kind of contextualize it with all of this kind of baggage that I'm bringing to it, you know, going to a festival that I've been going to for a really long time, finding it harder and harder to sort of navigate on the first weekend, just getting around town and (laughs) all of those kind of logistical challenges, but then trying to sort of take a step back and realize that um, even in a year where from a totally industrial perspective, you have a company like Amazon spending 40, 50, 60 million dollars to buy a handful of a handful of films at the festival, um, the real action of the festival is really not about the films that were acquired for tens of millions of dollars. And those really aren't the films that we're kind of talking about substantively, (laughs) um, which is actually fine. And maybe that, I I would, I would argue that maybe that puts the festival in a better place Mm -hmm. because whether or not late night, which I thought was a really terrific comedy, whether or not that does well for Amazon, I don't think that that film's performance at the box office will have much of an impact how this year's festival is judged Mm -hmm. over history because there's so many new and interesting voices that were discovered at this year's festival that have nothing to do with whether that movie does well or not. Right. You know, Nisha, the director of Nisha Ganatra, the director of that film had already established herself. Um, she came, she showed her movie. It did really well. Yeah. Uh, and she'll go on to her next one. But a lot of the films that, that you've been talking about on this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, over the last, you know, week or so, um, many of them have been from new voices that, that we can only hope to hear more from. Yeah. And yeah. certainly not all of those films, uh, that are from new voices this year worked, but that's not always that's that's the case with any right. with any year. But but seeing the the maybe hoping or maybe I'm wanting to see a kind of separation between the sort of marketplace of the festival mm-hmm. and the sort of critical discourse, yeah. I think will only help the festival. Yeah. But that's sort of looking at it through my lens of you know sort of. 20 plus years. I'm curious from your perspective of with a few years of, you know, Sundance under your belt right. and, and this, and these last few years being a festival where they're, they, they seem to be trying to make that distinction. Yeah. How you sort of see it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the, I mean, the deals and and the reporting on the deals and and the anticipation of the deals. It seems like that's of a piece with the general like horse race reporting that afflicts the whole industry, really, not just the independent industry. So that's almost more a symptom of something apart from Sundance. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't I don't think they sh- shy from those <laughs> headlines coming because that's that's the way you can kind of break into the the general kind of um, reporting, I guess, is, is is that way. I don't know the days of a, of a movie making uh, making a splash just on the merits of, you know, really great tracking shots or something. Not that there ever were those days, but, you know, it seems like that's that's kind of harder for that to, to happen. I don't know. I mean, it's 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 it sort of seems sometimes like a what's the word like a uh, a cauldron or a crucible for kind of passion or excitement, which I, you know, there's always a place place for that. And the, you know, the the loudest aren't always the loudest, and then and the, and the things that get the most attention, like any festival, aren't always the ones that people might um, be thinking about down the road more. Yeah, I, and and it is hard to separate sometimes when you're moving around at a festival where. I mean, pretty openly, like, you know, when they're talking about the festival, how important the the brand is and the history is and the mythos of it is. Um, and I think this is not even me. You know, I, I, I've you know heard a couple of critics talk about, well, I wish there was more um, about there was more of an emphasis on the independence in aesthetics, uh, aesthetic approaches, you know, or um, that that was kind of matched the rest of the rhetoric in a way. Um, and that's easier to say than, you know, when you, for, you know, for anyone who's programming a festival, these are all things that you, I mean, how, you know, you are balancing all of these, these things. Well, it sort of raises a question. I, I'm not sure if this is where you were going, but it made me think about something. It remind, reminded me of something that I was thinking about yeah. the other day. And it was, it was uh, kind of reiterated in the conversation that you had with, with Amy and Manola. Yeah. And that is the notion of, of this kind of this term storytelling, and that's a term that really gets sort of emphasized in the context of Sundance. And I wonder to what extent, because of Sundance's kind of tremendous footprint, uh, tremendous impact in the world of American independent cinema, to what extent that notion of storytelling becomes the kind of emphasis for, or the way, the window through which we look at American independent cinema and to what extent like when we when we look at like the catalog for the festival and it says like really big risk independence and everywhere you look is like (laughs) risk independence at the festival and they're really pushing this this slogan right Right. but what does that really mean and and does it become a joke at some point and and to what extent does it you know kind of critically speaking like to what extent does it kind of hurt Sundance to be kind of adopting these kind of rebellious terms or these these kind of adventurous notions when a lot of the films that we're seeing, while the 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 stories they're exploring might be risky in that you don't really see them being explored or told in kind of mainstream cinema, yeah. the approaches, the aesthetic approaches are hardly, you know, um, are are certainly less ambitious and don't seem hardly risky. And then that that's not the case with every film we saw. Right. But it, it gives it gives the one the impression that the nature of American independent cinema is yeah. is not so adventurous at least in the form. Yeah, yeah. And maybe it it's inherently at odds with sort of the critical discourse. I that's I mean that yeah the tension is on is on full full view because people who are needing to acquire movies aren't always trying to acquire the 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 most um, the, the the actual the most adventuresome 
or at least adventuresome in the way that I think maybe we're, we're, we're talking about. And I can't entirely judge that either because, you know, every, every, every company has to acquire certain types of films to, to fulfill certain types of goals. No, you're exactly right. Yeah. I mean, the Sundance slogan might be risk independence, but yeah. the industry's slogan is risk averse. Right. I mean, they're, they're really trying to, yeah. Yeah. they're looking for the most like saleable aspects right of a yeah. movie that they can acquire for a lot of money if they are at Sundance yeah. and market it to as wide an audience as possible. Yeah. And and the films at Sundance that are truly risky and adventurous yeah. are going to face a really tough time in getting that attention yeah. um, from the buyers, but they might get it from the critics. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and then on the other hand, you can look back at last year and see a movie like Sorry to Bother You, um, which, which, you know, in, in some ways reads as a very, I mean, we don't have to rehash, sorry to bother you, we've done a whole podcast on it, but like, you know, some, some ways reads as kind of a, a standard sellout comedy, let's say, but has some like ruptures and, and pushes, to, pushes like it's, it's a, a lot of its things to extremes in a way that was really exciting. Those to horse me. people are. Oh, yeah, exactly. Which we can now say. I think the last time we talked about it, we were still talking around the horse people, horse people. which seems like, I don't know, like and a medicine. horse penises. And <laughs> exactly. Like everybody. Yeah, exactly. Things you would not expect. Boots Riley feels like one of those rare, like discoveries that happen at a place like Sundance yes. every so often. And yes. it's, it's, it's hard because even, you know, any of us go back to Sundance and you're like, okay, where's this year's Boots Riley? Like, right. where is the film that is just going to like destabilize you and yeah. and the the filmmaker who's going to like just kind of rise to the occasion yeah. of of what, you know, sort of truly risky independent cinema, like what you want it to be. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, maybe it's too soon to say, I don't know that we found we collectively maybe found our boots riley right. this year i don't know if i i don't think i did but yeah i don't know it's it's i mean he's 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 got it's it's revolution you can dance to right is <laughs> it because literally it's kind of his music and that and then the film to a certain extent i think he, he must have said something like that himself but yeah and it's 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 hard to 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 like achieve that and that's not even the only thing you achieve like i'm not going to knock clemency and the performances there which is performance in there the lead performance um, which is exceptional and a movie where you you might go in and think oh is this going to be a grandstanding performance that's that's telegraphing how just the the whole endeavor is um and, and i don't think that's that's the case and even that's a movie i think that does take risks in in its uh kind of recessiveness of someone was just describing to me yeah it's it's uh yeah, it's, you know, it's a challenge, like, as a critic, you know, uh, where we're always, like, kind of resisting people putting frames around things. So, yeah, I, I you know, it's, uh, it's hard to uh, go, go with the flow in, the, in that sense. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> where, the, where that leaves us, really, with, with, with this year. It's, I mean, I guess there, it's, it's also worth mentioning, I'm not sure we've talked at length about it, but, I mean, there has been uh, shifts in, in the programming team. Um, which I, I don't know if you can tell after a year how much that percolates to actual selections or not. So I, I don't know if it's fair to judge. It does seem that uh, like generally that the festival is on healthy footing. So that might have been a high priority <laughs> before changing any any programming things. I don't know. Um, but that'll be interesting to watch. Um, and then, I mean, also part of the conversation, not just, you know, the, the films um, or you know the content of the films but also just initiatives in terms of what critics they're bringing there and uh initiatives uh in 
in, in representation just just generally, that's also a, a high priority. And it's been interesting to think how that's played out in in the past, again, like in the history of the festival. Like I don't know, it's, it seems for a while you could have the independent ethos um, and that was, you know, that was enough of a goal for the festival, but now it's, it's realizing that, that that's, there's, that's not really a complete picture that the, the independence for a while. I don't no, know if I, th- I was clear in what I said. No, I but. think, I think it's a very, it's a very good point, And it's a point that's, it's a little hard to talk about without the, the context of time, um, I think, but I think you're exactly right in right. Note, noting sort of where we can see where Sundance and the new leadership and some of its new leadership who've already been there. Right. Uh, the new festival director, yeah. Kim, has been there. Kim Yutani has been there for a while now. Um, but I think you can see her trying to make a mark at a time when the festival is very responsive to um, to being more inclusive, to being more representative. Um, when I started going to Sundance in the mid-'90s, uh, to be very candid and frank about it, it was a very white male place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just noticeable. And if you look at the kind of discoveries of the 90s, um, many of them are, you know, sort of white male American indie right. filmmakers. This year, the festival was very vocal and it was apparent in looking at the subject matter and the and the roster of directors and their efforts around um, broadening their press base, that they were trying to do something different and trying to be more inclusive and and open and responding to um, sort of what's happening in in the film community or the opportunities that are out in the film community to to embrace kind of a wider array of films and filmmakers and and also just people from the film, the critical community. What's reassuring about uh, what happened this year is that, as it turns out, a number of the strongest films have actually come from diverse voices, um, and and there's like <clears throat> there's strength in some right. of the work that's coming from people who maybe uh, not so many years ago would have had a tougher time getting to Sundance, right. getting their film seen at Sundance. Whether those films will resonate in a marketplace is a whole other discussion. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's where I was trying to go earlier with the conversation around hopefully whether or not some of these films do well in theaters, uh, hopefully that won't work against some of these efforts. And hopefully the critical response uh, yeah. will be will be considered and looked at as well. But I think that's where you need a few years to sort of right. look at. You know, there's, there's only so many like Boots Rileys of the world who can not right. only make like a really adventurous, risky movie, but right. then can like go out and like stump for that movie right. for for months and yeah. be like a great face for that movie um, right. out in the world. And I think that it's a lot to ask from a young American independent filmmaker to not only make a really risky movie, right. but then often what distributors ask is that you're out in the world kind of promoting it. Yeah. And that's not necessarily um, a skill that's always attached to like sort of yeah. adventurous filmmaking. Yeah. Um, and I think that's an important part of what's kind of woven into the conversation about how these films sort of resonate in a bigger way. The festival showed that they're up for the challenge of like going out and finding a wider array of films, mm-hmm. but how different aspects of the community respond to it is still up for discussion. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's can only imagine how demanding it is to be a filmmaker now in, in the current functioning in this current landscape where you have to be wearing so many hats and have to be representing so much 
even beyond your film um, and be self-conscious in ways that maybe as an artist you don't always want to be publicly self-conscious about even, you know, thinking about just from that standpoint, you know. I mean, in some ways, maybe it was like you realized how it was a luxury for, you know, some filmmakers just be able to put the work out there and all you have to do is be really not... I don't. I, it was. It's always been hard making movies, but it, it's shifted. Maybe what what you have to be doing with with a film. I well, don't know. you could rely on maybe the critical community to sort of pick up, right. in a theoretical dream scenario. Yeah. Uh, adventurous, risky artist, filmmaker makes their like adventurous, risky film, puts right. it out at the festival. The critics sort of pick it up from there right. and carry it the next, you know, the next leg of its journey yeah. to, you know, to distribution and on. But even that is obviously, you know, yeah. we're fortunate to be talking about this in the context of film comment, but there aren't that many right. film magazines out there and there aren't that many journalists that, that give yeah. a film the kind of context and depth and like, exploration that is required because even in the context of Sundance specifically, yeah. so much of the coverage that's happening there is either about the deals or the quick tweet response to a movie and there isn't as much time for a longer conversation and then the kind of people, everybody moves on to the next movie. Yeah. <clears throat> and yeah. even now, like, you know, the festival just ended a couple of days ago and yeah. so many of uh, the sort of trade publications and other film publications are sort of looking on to Berlin right. that starts in a couple of days and, and on to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of insane. <laughs> it's insane. And it's insane being there and, and trying to convey a picture of it and everyone, you know, trying to be true to, the, to their particular goals, you know, and, and critics doing their best to, to render films, um, you know, an endeavor that I don't always know is 100% achievable in, in the way that, that we'd always, you know, expect from critics. Yeah, it can be a hopeful place, but also can be, you know, there's a certain amount of carnage to the, to the festival, you know, uh, but I, I mean, I'd like to think that out of this, this festival, some, some films will, will live on, you know, perhaps we'll show here or elsewhere uh, at some point in the future. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's you can know it's you can never entirely get your 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 arms around uh, the, the the festival and and its experience. I mean, I'd like to think that even if the movies don't achieve much uh, of of a box office return in the future, um, that just have pushing it out into, into the culture and and using the festival Sundance as a kind of stage has some importance. You know, one can one can dream. I hope I hope you're right because it, it it'll make. Uh, how horrible I felt this weekend and how bad my voice is right now feels slightly worth it. Um, but, you know, yeah. the conversation yeah. begins at Sundance and then kind of stops for a minute. Yeah. And it continues. Yeah. Well, we thank you for, for sacrificing yourself on the, on the altar of, uh, of, of Sundance. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, that, that probably, uh, probably brings us to, to a close. Um, and, and we might have to just wait till next year. And in the meantime, there will be other festivals and, and other uh, winded, sickly conversations <laughs> where we try our best. Um, but thank you so much, Eugene. Congrats, Nick. Well done. <laughs> You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.